I'd like to take you back to northern Israel, Caesarea Philippi. It's a decadent community. And Jesus is there, and it's close to the end of his ministry. He's probably within a few weeks of the Passion Week. His disciples have been with him for over three years, so they're well-versed in who he is and what he says he is. And he asked them a question. He says, who do you say that I am? Do you remember what, he, what they answered? They said, well, you know, some people say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah, maybe a prophet, John the Baptist. And he said, no, who do you say that I am? And I think that's a question for all of us this Christmas season. When we look at that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, who do you say that he is? She's a young mom. She's got nine-month-old twins. They're driving her crazy. She's at her wit's end. It's December 21st. The tree isn't up. Cards aren't in the mail. She's got gifts to wrap. Her husband's on the road. She's frazzled. She finally gets the kids down for a nap. She calls the neighbor and says, can you come over and wash the kids for a bit? She races out. She goes to Walmart. There's a box of 25 Christmas cards. She grabs them, runs in the car. She's got her label. She gets them on, gets them in the mail, stops on the way home, gets some groceries, gets home, collapses in the chair. She's exhausted. There's one Christmas card left, and so she picks it up and thinks, I wonder what the Christmas verse is that I sent. It says, just a short note to say that a gift is on the way. <laughs> Can you imagine the angst, the frustrations, the tears and I find myself sometimes at Christmas kind of at that place where we get so busy doing stuff, checking off the boxes of things we've got to do, that we don't stop and really look at the baby Jesus and ask ourselves, who do you say I am? The Christmas story is recorded in Matthew and Luke. We're going to read in Matthew today, beginning in verse 18, New Living Translation. It says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Pastor Ben last week shared with us how the angel appeared to Zechariah. Gabriel shows up. This week we see an angel appearing to Mary and Joseph universally through Scripture. When an angel shows up, first thing the angel says is, fear not. Can you imagine being Mary? Mary. 
I'm pregnant and I've never been with a man. Oh yeah, right. She had the courage to go on. Can you imagine Joseph? His only option really was divorce her. When you're engaged at this time, it's like a marriage. And he could do it publicly, and legally she could be stoned because of her infidelity. It says he chose to do it quietly, and an angel shows up. And can you imagine when he wakes up the fear he has? Yet he obeyed and took her as his wife, and they had a son, and they named him Jesus. Today I want to take a little bit of time and look at who this Jesus is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story in Matthew and Luke of the birth of Christ. I pray that the message of who he is will penetrate our hearts this morning. And that when we leave this place today, we will never be the same. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote a number of epistles, as you know. Colossians, he wrote from a jail in Rome. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's writing to this church at Colossae, and he's been in the area, but he never stopped there. It's very close to the Galatian area, and so he wrote Galatians about 20 years earlier. And here he is 20 years later, pretty much writing a similar message, that Jesus is all you need. They were saying it's Jesus plus something. It's circumcision, or it's festivals, or it's right rituals that we go through, and even uh, the Gnostics were getting into metaphysical things that they had to do, and he says, no, it's Christ, and it's Christ alone. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, he pens Colossians, and beginning in verse 15, chapter 1, it says, he, referring to Christ, is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, on the surface, that seems kind of odd. If he's invisible, how can you have a visible image? But that's precisely who Christ is. The year 325 A.D. Is a, big de- is a big year for us as Christians. You see, Constantine was on the throne in Rome. He was the emperor. And just a few years earlier, he had declared Christianity as the religion for his empire. And there was some problems with Christianity at the time because people disagreed on who Christ was. Some said a good man. Some said, you know, kind of God, maybe not. And 300 bishops were called to the edge of the Black Sea, and they had a conference. And out of that came the Nicene Creed, which said that Jesus and God are one. Same DNA, same substance, homoousios. See, God reveals himself to you and to me in a number of different ways. Romans 1 says he reveals ourselves in nature. If we've got the courage, really, and the open-mindedness to just look out at Mother Nature, it cries out a designer 
It cries out of the existence of God, how everything works. The earth is so far from the sun and the moon and Saturn protects us. And it has to be a created scenario. He reveals himself in this book. This Bible is unique amongst any book in the world. It's alive. And it cries out that Christ is the son of the living God. And he reveals himself by coming to earth and being a man, humbling himself. I don't understand how God can be God, fully God, and fully man. But that's precisely what the scriptures say. That's called the emptying of, of Christ, or known as the kenosis. So when he came down and became a baby in a manger, he was fully God. He was not a lesser God, but he gave up some of his divine privileges. It says that he veiled his glory. And we think about the kenosis of the emptying of Christ, but we also, there's a flip side to that, and it is he took on humanity. He lived a perfect sinless life, but he had some limitations because of his humanity. Jesus got hungry. God doesn't get hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He gave up some of his omniscience at times. But somehow in that, he's fully God and fully man. If you hear that, you just yawn through it. You don't have a pulse. It's unbelievable. Second thing it says, he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, to those of us in the West, and our thinking is distinctly different than the Eastern, we think of the firstborn as the first child, and that's precisely what the Jehovah Witnesses do. They take this scripture, they add the word other, and they say, he was the firstborn, therefore he's a created being, therefore he's not a deity, therefore he's not God. But the scriptures say he was preeminent. He preceded creation. He is sovereign. He holds this together. It says that this baby is the creator, heaven and earth, visible, invisible, of this universe. And when we start to talk about creation, Many of us as Christians kind of shrink. We go, well, you know, evolution. I've been taught that from grade one to the end of my education. Evolution, evolution, evolution. The year is 1953. Stanley Miller is a scientist, and he puts this concoction together of water and hydrogen and ammonium and methane, and he starts zapping it with some electricity. And he says, I think I've discovered 
the beginnings of life out of this test tube. And the Darwinians, the Charles Darwinians of evolution are ecstatic. They have got life without God. They've got life as a random event. And then you start to put the geologists and the paleontologists in the equation. And they say, elements have a certain degree of decay. And if I get this rock and I measure what the daughter isotope is, let's say it's 30%, and I assume that it started at 100%, and although I know the decay isn't linear, I'm going to take kind of a experimental approach and guesstimate. And so if it started here and it's here and it's this many years old, voila, this rock is 200 million years old. And then the paleontologist finds a bone and says, well, it's right by this rock and so this dinosaur bone must be 250 million years old. And all of a sudden you've got this world that has years Millions of years. If you'd go to Dr. Miller and say, you've got this spark of light. How long would it take you to get really life going? Uh, could you do it in a week? You go, oh, no. A couple of years? No. Thousand? Ten thousand? How about a million years? M- maybe. How about a hundred million years? Start putting time and things start to maybe, maybe it could happen. I completely, utterly reject that philosophy. Darwin in his writings wrote, the complex organ of the eye, to think that it evolved is absurd to the highest degree. I've spent most of my adult life with the eyeball. Let me regress a little bit and tell you about a little bit of the intricacies of how your eye works. So imagine your evolution. You say, you know, I think it'd be better if I could see. So I'm going to need to create something that allows me vision. And before I get going too far, I need to protect it. So I'll get this structure on the outside. And then... I need a clear window to get the light in, so I'm going to develop this clear window. Now, I can't have blood vessels or a bunch of stuff that would obstruct the light coming in, so it'll be a unique structure. And it can only be a half a millimeter thick, because if it's too thick, it'll get clouded, because I've got endothelial cells on the inside that are pumping constant water out of that. But those endothelial cells are going to need nutrition, got to get rid of the waste, and so I'm going to create this substance. Uh, We'll call it aqueous, and it's going to come out of... Uh, the ciliary body that's going to make just the right amount because if there's too much it doesn't work and if there's not enough it doesn't work they've got to drain it out you know I've got to control the light so I'm going to create this muscle that allows the light to come in just right and I've got to focus the light so I've got this lens that's going to get that going okay so I've got the light to the back of the eye but how do I get light energy to electrical energy Maybe I'll make this 10-layered substructure in the back that's going to take light in. And I'll make some receptors in the back of that that's going to see color and dark. And I'll have color vision. And then I've got to still get that to electrical energy. I've got to get it to the 
vision center, but I don't have a vision center in the brain, so I better be developing that also. So I'll, I'll be working on the vision center. And then, you know, to get the electrical energy, why don't I do some transmitters? So I'll get a neurotransmitter that will come in and the light will hit it and it'll go through four stages. And while I've got electrical, now I've got to get the electrical to this vision center that I'm developing. So I think I'll make some little fibers that'll run there. And oh, geez, I need about a million two of those. So that'll take an extra day or two. So I've got these million point two fibers. They're going to run back and I'll have them pause in the geniculate body to do some stuff. And then they'll go back to that occipital lobe that I'm working on. And then they get to the occipital lobe and, well, it's upside down and backwards. So I'm going to have to learn how to flip that around. And then I use my eyelid and open and I go, oh, there's Eddie. <laughs> I mean, really? The skeptic's going to say, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe what is said in here. It says God created it. No, I don't buy that. I've got the geologist telling me stuff. I've got Stan Miller telling me stuff. 1980, NASA proved that Stan Miller's experiment was bogus. Let me ask you a question. What was the timeline before creation? It's a bogus question. I don't understand eternity, but this baby Jesus was there before the beginning and created the heavens and the earth that had the appearance of age and history that it had never had before by the word of his mouth. We get presuppositions and we kind of dig our heels in. A couple of weeks ago I was talking to a young man who believes in evolution. And I said, if I could show you some pretty convincing evidence, would you be willing to change your opinion? And he said, no. He's locked and loaded. Jesus comes on the scene and creates something out of nothing. I think it's interesting, as I thought about this, God created in the beginning and nobody really was around. And so I think he said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you what I can do. And he said, take up your pallet and walk. And the guy skips out. If you'd have brought up a scientist with a white lab coat and said, look at his leg. He'd say, got a pretty good calf and his thigh muscles are okay and it's got tendons and ligaments and... It's got the appearance of age that it never had before. The word of his mouth, something out of nothing. Latin is creato ex nihilo, something out of nothing. He told the blind man, you can see. Can you imagine putting all those million little nerve fiber layer stuff in there and bingo, he could see. He said, Lazarus, come forth. We're not a pretty picture after four days in the, in the tomb. 
And something you rarely hear, it's fascinating to me. You talk about creation and you get a ton of pushback. But when he says Jesus created wine out of water, they go, yeah, okay. I mean, you know how long it takes to make a bottle of wine? You're talking years. Yet he spoke things into existence with the appearance of age and history that they had never had before. And again, the skeptic says, that's just what the Bible says. And I say, you can open this thing up and look at the Old Testament and then look at the New Testament and the prophecies that have been fulfilled. Mathematically, it's impossible. And we read some today. Virgin birth. Son of David. Goes on, tells him when he's going to be born, where he's going to be born, who his family's going to be, what his name's going to be, how he's going to live. The odds of one man fulfilling that. Astronomical. Yet they dig their heels in and they say, no way. It says that he's the head of the church. We've just spent a couple of months looking at that. That we should worship him. We should be disciples. We should be disciple makers. We should have fellowship. We should have missions. We should have evangelism. The question this morning I think that we need to ask ourselves why would he come in the way that he did? I think part of the reason is, is that it gives us as Christians an example to look at. We can't relate completely because he was sinless, but he struggled. He had issues. He was hungry. He was tired. And we can relate in some, in some way of that, and it encourages us. But I think more importantly, he came to live a sinless life so that one day that life can be credited to me. The Bible calls that reconciliation, buying me back. And it goes without saying that Adam's sin in the garden, as Pastor Ben last week clearly pointed out, created death to the human race. And that death and that sin was put on to mankind, called imputed. And so you and I are in a position where we have a sin nature and that sin nature separates me from God. And I believe that God came as a baby and grew so that that righteous life that he led gives me an opportunity to be right with God. And so my sin, Adam's sin to me, my sin I put on Christ at the cross. If I say in my heart that I believe Jesus will take my sins on and that perfect life he led can be credited to my account, 
And now his righteousness is put back on me. So when God looks at me, he sees a saint. And so I think the question again this morning is, is what's Christmas all about? And I think when we look at that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, I think the question you need to ask yourself and the question I need to ask myself is, who do you say that he is? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, to the God who makes me stand in his presence, blameless, with great joy, be glory, majesty, authority, now and forevermore. Amen.